to Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, it is a joy to, to be here with you on the last Sunday of 2019. Um, even as we think about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and how he has been with us um, throughout this, this uh, entire year. Am I, am I audible? Okay. Um, usually, um, when the beginning, in the beginning of the year, we usually greet each other like, with, with words like, uh, Happy New Year, right? A Happy New Year. And for some pessimistic uh, people, <laughs> or people who are going through a lot, they would say, yeah, it's a new year, but what's happy about it? Right? Um, as, as, as we think about it, as we think about um, crossing over into the, to the next year, I just want to encourage you from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to verse 9, under the topic, A Recipe of a Year-Long Joy. A Recipe of a Year-Long Joy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 9, and I read from the ESV, follow me as I read God's word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the God of peace, which, and, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, whatever is, if, if, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and perceived and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And this is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, it's your word. We pray that you use it to sanctify our hearts. We pray that you use it to encourage us and to exhort us in the way that honors you. Draw us to yourself as we hear your word this morning. Give us joy in who you are, that we may have true and lasting joy. May you be honored in every way. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. As we come to the end of another year, uh, w once again we find ourselves in a world filled with problems, doubts, worries, and uh, fears. We, we, sing, we were singing um, even this December, joy to the world. Uh, but there's not so much joy as we would like, right? Uh, too many people are unhappy. 
too many people who walk our city streets are, are unhappy. Uh, people uh, today aren't as cheerful as they ought to be. If you ask many people, if you ask many people, why aren't you more cheerful? You, you would hear answers like this, usually. People say, you don't know what I'm going through. You, you don't know what I'm going through. Or some people say, how can I be cheerful when my marriage is falling apart? Some say, I feel as if God seems far away. Some say, if you lived with my husband or my wife, you wouldn't be happy either. Some say, my kids drive me nuts. Some say, I'm sick. How can I rejoice? Some say, if I had more money, I'd be happy. Uh, these are some of the answers people offer. And, and these answers reveal a, a, a peek inside what people are thinking and feeling usually. And, the, and they lead us to a crucial insight. What we do and, and what, uh, what we do usually depends on what we believe. Actions, oftentimes, is controlled by conviction. Whatever is on the inside will show up on the outside sooner or later. People who are perpetually miserable generally have, a, have made a series of choices that led them to that set, set condition. You, you are not what you think you are, but what you think that you are. I love uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, especially in the King James Version. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Uh, I want us to take a closer look at this passage that we just read, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. The, the, the first nine verses here in chapter 4 deal with six topics, um, or five topics actually, um, which might be loosely called Christian attitudes. If you find yourself limping toward the, the finish line of 2019, these inspired words can make next year a truly good year. That when people say, Happy New Year, that you would say, Amen, indeed, it's a happy new year. We see here five attitudes that will guarantee true joy in the next year. Five attitudes that will guarantee true joy in 2020. First of all, stand firm. Secondly, settle your differences. Thirdly, resolve to rejoice. Fifthly, pray about everything. And six, uh, uh, I mean, uh, f um, the fourth one, the fifth one, think holy thoughts. Let us look at the first one, the first attitude that will guarantee true joy in 2020. First of all, stand firm. Look at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You see, the, the call to stand firm here refers to a soldier staying faithfully at his post no matter what happens around him. Let the enemy uh, attack as he will. The soldier's orders are clear. Stand firm. Uh, this command was often repeated by the Apostle Paul in, in, in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, he says, Stand firm, let nothing move you. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, he says, Stand firm in the faith. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by your yoke of slavery. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Having done everything, stand. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Stand firm in one spirit. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Stand firm in all the will of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, Stand firm and hold to the teaching we passed on to you. The question then, he's saying stand firm so many times. Why is he repeating it and emphasizing this, this, this command to stand firm? Why is he doing this? I think Paul had a healthy respect of the devil's attempt to discourage and distract the children of God. He knew that we will be sorely tempted to leave our post when the bullets of temptation start wheezing over our heads. So he repeats it again and again, stand firm. Stand firm. This is where a happy new year begins. Husbands are to stand firm. Wives are to stand firm. Parents are to stand firm. Children are to stand firm. Students stand firm. Single people stand firm. The Bible is calling you to stand firm. Stand in the Lord. Do not be shaken by anything. There are things that are going to come to try to shake you and rattle you up, but the Bible is calling you to stand firm. Do not be moved by the troubles that will come. Do not be moved by the difficulties that will come. Surely difficulties will come. Surely conflicts will come, but stand firm. Whoever you are, and wherever you are, and whatever you're doing, in the name, if, the, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, in 2020, if you don't do anything else, do this. Stand firm. So Paul calls us to stand firm, but not only that, he says in, in, in verse 2 and 3, settle your differences. Settle your differences. Look at verse 2 and 3. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul next deals with a difficult and delicate problem in the Philippian church. It, it seems that two women couldn't get along with each other. What is ironic about their names is that one is named Yuria, which means sweet smell, and the other is named Syntyche, which, mean, which means friendly. We, we don't know much about these women or the precise nature of their dispute. They were... They were evidently known in the church, but they had a serious fallout. For whatever reason, sweet smell and friendly weren't very sweet or very friendly to each other. 
And I wonder how these two women felt when they heard their names read in public. 2,000 years later, they stand for women who couldn't stand each other. And I find it instructive that Paul doesn't give us um, very many details here. We can't tell from his words that the background of the problem, and, and nothing here, he says, lets us know who was right or who was wrong. In, instead of taking sides here, he, he simply exhorts these two Christian women to settle their differences. And that's a useful principle to remember, because in most disputes, it usually doesn't matter who started it. Once the animosity builds up, once the conflict builds up, there is generally plenty of blame that is thrown around. We, we do know this much here. Paul regards these women as genuine believers. That their names were written in the book of life in verse 3. They are evidently personal friends of his who worked with him in founding the church in Philippi. The, the, the word labor in verse 3 means to, 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 to engage in competition. And it, engage, it indicates that these women were strong. They were determined. They were hardworking and, and, and probably opinionated as well. They had their own views of how things should be done. And with that background, it's, it's easy to see how conflict might develop, Right? Instead of focusing on the causes, Paul exhorts these women to agree, which literally means to come to one mind. You see, what he's saying here doesn't mean seeing eye to eye on every detail. It's impossible to do that, right? He doesn't say they must see eye to eye on every single detail. Instead, it indicates a personal choice to focus on the things that unite them rather than things that divide them. We focus on things that bring us together in Christ, right? As we think about this short section of scripture, here are six principles for, for handling interpersonal problems. Let me give you six. I'll just give you like that without explaining them. First of all, separate convictions from opinions. Right? Know the difference between conviction and opinion. Secondly, be willing to ask forgiveness. Be willing to ask forgiveness. Thirdly, look for opportunities to show kindness in small ways. Look for opportunities to, to show people around you kindness. Fourthly, pray for the success of the other person. What could be more pride-destroying and hatred annihilating than to pray for the person you are in conflict with. Not that God will deal with them, but that God will help them to succeed. To pray for their success. To seek their good. To seek their joy. Fifthly, ask God to remove bitterness from your heart. And the last one, six. Ask a friend to hold you accountable in this area. Right? If you can't um, resolve an issue, bring along someone who is, who is, who is um, um, godly, who is wise to help you. In other words, it's important to consider the state of your relationships with your fellow brothers and sisters. 
Don't enter 2020 without making a sincere effort to settle your disagreements. If you can't settle them completely, you can at least make an effort in that direction. You, you can at least take the first step. So Paul calls us to settle our differences, to stand firm, to settle our differences. And thirdly, he calls us to resolve, to rejoice. Resolve to rejoice. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Paul's third command is, is, is quite simple. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, uh, again I say, rejoice. Though short, this command may be the most difficult one to obey consistently. Right? Uh, note that the command to rejoice is the only one here in this passage that is repeated. And why is that? I think it's, it's because we tend to forget, uh, forget this one in the midst of dealing with difficult people or even the upsetting problems of life. We, we tend to be very forgetful of, of, of this command. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. He's not talking about giddiness or a, 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 a positive mental attitude. He's not talking about that. This is not put on a happy face or, or look for the silver lining. The, the, the rejoicing that Paul has in mind is not based on outward circumstances. And that's crucial because very often our circumstances are quite depressing. Where was Paul? Think about it. Where was Paul when he wrote these words? Right? What is, was he sitting at his corner office sipping tea and, and scones with, with an aircon, writing these words from his high tower um, without any um, connection with the people that he's writing to. No. He, he, he was in a Roman prison, chained to, to Roman guards 24 hours a day. He was on trial for his life with no certain hope of release. And I take it Paul didn't enjoy his time in prison. But I, I, I know that he found reasons to rejoice even in that difficult circumstance. You see, rejoicing is a command to Christians. It is reminding us that our lives don't find their purposes in what we have or what we don't have. They don't find our purpose in our outward circumstance. You can be sick and bedridden and still have joy in your heart. Because your life doesn't find purpose in the fact that you're healthy or you're not healthy. And allow me this morning, if I may... I know this is the part I didn't like at school, the homework part. Allow me to give you a bit of homework um, as, 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 as a practical way to apply this message. Uh, sometime between now and the 1st of January, uh, take a sheet of paper and write uh, at the top, reasons to rejoice today. Then give yourself five to 10 minutes and list as many reasons as you can think of to rejoice in the Lord. Here's a list that I came up with as I was preparing this sermon. I rejoice because my sins are forgiven. 
I rejoice because I have a savior. I rejoice because I have Christian friends. I rejoice because I have a good church fellowship. I, re I rejoice because the word of God guides me. I rejoice because the Holy Spirit leads me. I rejoice because I have a wife who loves me. I rejoice because I have been blessed, I have been blessed with a son. I rejoice because I have people who pray for me. I, I rejoice because when I die, things will get better, not worse. There are so many things to rejoice about. Even in the midst of pain and difficulty, we can look to the Lord and remember that our sins are forgiven, that our uh, destiny is safe in his hands. So many things to rejoice about. So Paul calls us to resolve to rejoice, but not only that, he says we should pray about everything. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and let the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This famous passage begins with the phrase, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. To, to which I respond uh, oftentimes when I read this passage, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. But it's, it's, it's a very good advice to think about it. Uh, did you know that, the most, uh, that most of the time you, you spend worrying is basically wasting emotional energy? Some years ago, a professor at a leading American university studied the things people worry about. His, his research yielded the following results. 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. 30% concern the past. 12% are needless worries about health. And 10% are about petty issues. Only 8% are, are legitimate concerns. That means that 92% of your worry time is wasted energy. We spend time wasting energy. Worry is stewing without doing. It's like being on a rocking chair. There's a lot of movement, but no progress, right? Worry is wrong because it assumes that God cannot take care of you. He, he promised to take care of you. But when you worry, you are saying to God, Lord, I don't believe you can take care of me, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. As we enter the new year, we all have our own concerns. We all have our own things that trouble us, that concern us. It may be health issues or financial pressures or a big decision that you need to make. It could be fine family problems or marital struggles or, or issues at school on, or on the job. And here's my question to you. Do you know for certain what will happen next year? Do you know? The answer, of course, is no, right? We don't. Can you worrying about the future change the course of events? Right? Can, can, you, can, can, can you concentrate 
so hard and worry and worry and worry and then ch things change. Never, they never do, right? It's like sitting in your room and saying, I'm going to sweep the, the room with a broom here. I'm going to sweep, I'm going to sweep. The fact that you're thinking about sweeping does not mean it's going to happen, right? Why bother worrying at all? That the past is done for, the, the future is not yet. Why let, uh, uh, why let worry ruin the present, the only moment that we have? You see, worry and prayer are opposites. They are like water and fire. You, you, you can worry or you can pray, but you can't do both at the same time. Paul has three pieces of advice for warriors. Not warriors, warriors. Right? He says, pray about everything. He says, in everything, by prayer. Again, pray with thanksgiving. He says, we, we must pray with thanksgiving. Pray with expectation. Present your requests to God. When you take your burdens to the Lord, he, he replaces your worries with something much greater, the peace that surpasses all human understanding. Verse 7, he says that the, the peace will guard your heart. That's a military metaphor for soldiers guarding the city, the city gate from the inside. In other words, when you pray, God's peace becomes a guard on your heart, protecting you from the cares of the world that could otherwise destroy you. Before moving on to, from this point, let's think about this. When you worry, when you spend your time worrying, what usually happens to your prayer life? It goes down, right? Worry is a prayer killer. And if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in your spiritual disciplines, this is one of the areas that you need to look at. What do I usually worry about? And how do I need to pray about it? Right? Let's move on. Lastly, Paul calls us to think holy thoughts. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Our passage here closes with an exhortation to think holy thoughts. Uh, did you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts a day. That works out, uh, 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 out to 3.5 million thoughts a year. And if you live up until 75, you will have over 26 million different thoughts. Already most of you have had over 2,000 separate th uh, thoughts since you got out of bed this morning. You'll probably have another 8,000 before you go to bed tonight. Then you'll start over again tomorrow. The, 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 principle, the principle behind Paul's word is simple. Sin always begins in the mind. Also, holiness always begins in the mind. But when Paul says, think about such things, uh, the command is in the present tense. In other words, what he's saying, he says, keep on thinking about such things. Find what is true and think about it. 
find what is lovely and think about it. Find the virtuous and think about it. Do it, and Paul says, the God of peace will be with you. Let me say this as a, as a conclusion. If you're a Christian, you have within you the power to obey every command in this passage. You can literally change your mind if you want to. How do you do that? By remembering that all that is best in, is embodied in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. If you link yourself with him, you are joined with the highest moral power in the universe. He is the embodiment of everything Paul has commanded us to do. It is all in Jesus. All virtue, all beauty, all holiness, all truth, all that is good and right is found in Jesus Christ. There is not, this is not some abstract philosophical thought, but a call to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And my encouragement is simple to you. Hold on to Jesus. Think about him. Rest in him. Live in him. When Jesus Christ reigns in your heart, you will stand firm. You will settle your differences. You will resolve to rejoice. You will pray about everything. And you will think holy thoughts. How does he do it? He, he does it by the magnetic power of his transforming life. As you hold on to Jesus, he pulls you from the mark and mire of your old life. He pulls you up from bitterness. He pulls you up from futility, up from resentment, up from anger, up from compromise, up from impurity, up from dishonesty, up from selfishness, up from greed, from pessimism, and from despair. We stand on, on the brink of a new year. The, the year 2020 is filled with all these great possibilities that people are thinking. What, what will it mean for you? What will it mean for you? If you want my advice, and I hardly give any, if you want my advice, here it is. Lay hold of Jesus by faith. Walk with him, talk with him, learn from him, hold on to him, and don't let go. Do that, and your life will never be the same. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, so much thought that um, we have experienced this year. Pain, difficulty, suffering, joy. We pray that our hearts will rest in you. Even as we think about a new year that is that is coming. May our hearts rest in you. May our hearts stand in you. Live for you. Love you. Rejoice in you. May you be honored in every way in our lives. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.